the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC. Welcome to Bizburg. I'm your host, Gary Dixon. We're glad to have you here, as well as our two guests today on the program. We have Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer. Welcome to the program, both of you guys. Hi, Gary. How are Hi, you? Gary. Good to have you back with us again. We've done a number of shows. I think this is show number 13, as I recall. <laughs> so we've been together many times and got some lots, lots and lots of great information to uh, pass on to the listeners, and we'll do the same today. But before we get into today's topic, which has to do with estate planning, uh, let's get a little background about Abernathy and Hagerman. Yeah, I mean, we're, we have uh, three lawyers located in, uh, in a decent-sized staff located in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. Uh, we service all kind of clients across western Pennsylvania and many of the, the counties. Um, you know, we, we've been doing this for many years, and all we handle are estates, trusts, elder law. You know, in, in planning. So, I mean, like, we can't. I say I can't get you out of a parking ticket, but we can certainly handle your uh, your affair, affairs uh, for estate planning and even and even post death and administration and probate. As I said before, had lots of great information passed on about those things that you know, estate planning and the the trusts and elder law. And today, I guess we're going to be focusing on today's program with the estate planning. So we have a little different format this time. I think uh, you guys have a. Uh, a top five list, basically, for us. Do you want to uh, just take those, tackle those one at a time? Sure. Yeah, we'll go. And I, and I guess this is your focus, uh, Dan, Dan Reimer, uh, here with us, is estate planning. So let's uh, cover those. What's, uh, what's number one on your list of the five biggest mistakes in estate planning? Sure. I decided to, you know, to perform sort of a David Letterman-esque program <laughs> here this this afternoon. Number one. The number one biggest mistake in estate planning is sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it's basically not having your own plan, right? That might seem obvious, but only 32% of people out there have an estate plan. That's a pretty scary stat, yeah. right? That means 68% of people don't have even the most basic things in order, uh, and what happens if you don't have your own estate plan? Well, don't worry. You all, you have one. It's just not your own. It's the government's, right? We like right. to say that if you don't have your own plan, you get stuck with the government's rule book. And I, I trust me when I say that the government's rule book is not going to look anything like the plan you'd want to have in place for your family. Uh, so the first mistake is simply not having your own plan. So one-size-fits-all government plan is what that is, and, uh, and no one's alike. No two families are alike. So a one-size-fits-all approach is not the way to go. That's exactly right. Your, uh, your heirs are going to be dis- very disappointed probably in the way it turns out. Right? Well, and let's talk about an example of that, right? So uh, not too long ago, I had um, a 36-year-old friend uh, who was married with a small child and another baby on the way pass away suddenly. And unfortunately, he did not have a will. And the rule book of the government says that if a person passes away without a will, the assets get split in the following manner. The wife gets the first $30,000 of resources, and the rest of the resources get split between the surviving spouse and the child. Okay. The problem with that was that he owned a business interest. 
And now you've got a four-year-old child inheriting a business interest, right, mm-hmm. subject to tax that would not otherwise have to have been paid if he had a will that said everything I have goes to my wife. So not only do you have a tax problem, you've got now you've got to set up an account specially for this child. Um, it's a perfect example. It's a textbook example of even young people need at least a will, right, because the government's rule book is not going to be – uh, what they would want for their family. So that's a perfect example why this first mistake uh, manifests itself quite a bit. Now, in the case of, again, just layman questions here, in the case of just, say, somebody doesn't own a business, husband and wife, how about one passes usually, I guess in most cases, the, the man passes first. If they don't have a will, is is there any major issue there? Because I think there are a lot of people probably fall into that category. Uh, where they don't have a will, just a married couple. Everything goes to the wife, except if anything the deceased is. spouse had kids from a prior marriage, yep, then it gets yep. divvied up half and half. And it's just, you know, I think it's just dangerous mm-hmm. to operate under the assumption that if it's just a married couple, we don't need wills because the other will inherit everything. But the other value, though, of having a will is that it names an executor, and the job of the executor is to be the one that can speak on behalf of the deceased spouse with regard to creditors and collecting assets. Mm-hmm. So even in that simple scenario, it's always a good idea to have a will. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that we see, Gary, is the fact that sometimes people, and believe it or not, they forget what they have. So I have a scenario in the event that we had a, uh, an individual pass away. Uh, and they had been married for almost 50 years. And the, the, the wife passed away, and uh, she had uh, stock randomly from, you know, from 40 years ago that she, they had forgot about just in her name. Mm-hmm. And um, once again, there's the same issue with, uh, with children involved. They, they weren't minors, but they were children. And uh, the distribution scheme <laughs> you know, of, of the, the, the government wasn't desirable. Uh, so you know, we had to open up um, – you know, we had to deal with the uh, distribution scheme of the government in the sense of, of, of assets that we had forgotten about mm-hmm. over the course of 50 years of marriage. That happens. So, yeah, it, it is complex, or it can be, uh, unnecessarily so. So a will. And wills themselves are really not that big a deal as far as expense to get done and that sort of thing, right, for most people? They don't have to be, you know, depending on the bells and whistles. Um, I can create a will that's 50 pages long. You might say, well, what's in that 50 pages? Well, I'm going to create testamentary trusts for kids. I might have a special needs trust baked into it because I've got a a child that's on government benefits. Perhaps I have a provision in there for my IRAs so that if I die, Mm -hmm. I want my wife to have some asset protection for the IRAs. And so it, it, yes, it can be a simple two, three page will, but depending on what the goals and concerns are, it could also be a much broader document. Let's be candid. Most people come to my office and they say, we just want a will. But what they're really saying is we want it to be cheap. We want something simple and we want it inexpensive. But then when you peel back the layers a little bit and you ask them, well, let me, you know, let's find out about your family. Tell me about the kids. Tell me about the in-laws. Tell me about the future. What do you want to see the kids do with the money? You know, mm-hmm. What do you think they're going to do with the money? And, and when I start to ask those questions and they say to me, well, we want to protect the assets for, from the divorce. We want to protect our assets from the nursing home. It becomes clear very quickly that your two- or three-page cookie-cutter will just isn't going to get it done. Right. Right. So, okay. yes, educating them first, explaining the options. But more than even explaining the options, it's about finding out what they're concerned about. That's yes. a tailored estate plan. And that's, that's what you're all about, and that's what your job is, to uh, ask, ask them these questions and find out what their, if you will, will 
actually is in each of those cases. That's right. And I'm sure they must be many times surprised, oh, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that never occurred to me. Exactly. A lot of what we do in our initial consultation meetings is really educational. Yeah. And we hear that phrase a lot, I never thought about that or I didn't know that that's how Mm -hmm. it worked. Yeah. But our job, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? So our job, you know, as your lawyer would be to educate you on what your options are and then, you know, have have, have you have an educated decision going forward. Well, so you're saying that attorneys are a good thing. <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> in yeah. that sense, yeah, right. <laughs> it's so true. I think t- that's t- what you guys get paid typically, to do. Yeah, typically, that's- everyone likes their lawyer, but it's the other person's yeah. lawyer that they don't like, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So the second biggest mistake that I see are clients simply not understanding the law. Um, I see it all the time. People have a will, and the will says I leave everything to my spouse, and yet the assets that they have may be life insurance that's beneficiary designated to to the kids or to siblings, or Mm -hmm. they have a joint uh, piece of property, a camp that's up north with a brother. The point is understanding the law means understanding how assets are owned and how they pass upon death. Certain assets are going to pass upon death by virtue of how they're owned. A joint asset is going to pass from one joint owner to the other. Most married couples own a home jointly, and when one spouse dies, the other spouse simply owns it, period, regardless of what the will says. If you have beneficiary-designated assets like IRAs and life insurance, even though the will says everything goes to my spouse, if those assets are beneficiary-designated to other people, it's the other people that will get those. So you have to understand um, the constellation of issues that exist with the different types of assets. You want to make sure that your beneficiary designations are updated to reflect your dispositive desires. If it's your desire to leave everything to your wife, make sure your wife is the primary beneficiary. Mm -hmm. If you want to leave that life insurance equally to the kids, make sure the kids are equal beneficiaries under under that policy. So that's the second biggest issue is people not understanding the interplay between the will, beneficiary designated assets, and joint assets. When I do the initial consultation with you, are you going to be telling me certain documents I need to dig up and bring with me? Sure, um, I always want to see. I always want to see the documents that clients currently have. Um, I think it's important that even if they don't become my client, at least I've given them a free evaluation of their current plan, and I can say to them, "You know what? It looks like you're in good shape." And that's essentially what people want to know, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are we all set? Or are we not all set? If we're not all set, what do we need to become all set? But if I look at their documents and they're not that old and they comply with the modern amendments to the law and I'm satisfied that the goals they've expressed to me they want to achieve are going to be achieved with those documents, then there may not not need to be any tweaks or any amendments to them. But I always want to see what the clients currently have. I think it's important to do that. It's a good idea, I imagine, to look at updating your will from time to time. Well, sure, especially when certain life events occur, Uh, marriage, another kid, another grandkid, uh, change in uh, circumstances, medical circumstances, change in the next generation. Uh, There's always a reason to revisit it. You know, you can rewrite your will as many times as as, as you're willing to put pen to paper. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I but I see wills that are 20, 25 years old that candidly still reflect the client's wish to leave mm-hmm. everything to the spouse and then equally mm-hmm. to the kids. And if they don't have any other desires for asset protection or 
putting a hedge of protection around the kid's inheritance, why change it if, you know, the old saying, why fix it if it ain't broken, right? But I imagine you also, on the inverse, run into a number of wills that are oh, yes. old that should have been updated, and you're dealing with new issues. Of course. Because of it. That's, That's more likely than, yeah. the, than the previous scenario yeah. by far, Gary. Yep. Uh, if you just joined us, you're listening to Bisberg. I'm Gary Dixon. Our guests are Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer from Abernethy and Hagerman. Attorneys at law in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, and uh, they handle estate planning and trusts and elder law. And here's the contact information. The website is www.a-h.law. That's a-h.law. And the phone number is 412-486-6624. Mistake number three, not appreciating your creditors and predators. Creditors and predators. Yes, a little bit of okay. An, a, a predators. That's an interesting term, but I, I imagine pretty accurate. Well, some are obvious, right? I mean, everyone wants to avoid uh, the IRS. Nobody wants to pay more taxes to the federal government or the state government than they have to. Lawsuits are pretty obvious. You can't watch any programming on TV and not run into an ad for a personal injury lawyer. So those are the creditors that are obvious. Now, those that I call silent predators are those like the spendthrift child, right? The kid that you give a nickel to and he spends a dime. Uh, there's always someone in the family that you always kind of whisper at parties and say, yeah, he's not doing so well because he's just not smart with money. Uh, the in-laws, right, that are soon to become outlaws. The son-in-law you thought you loved when, when he married your daughter, but five, six years later you realize he's a knucklehead and, and the, the likelihood of divorce is a real one. And so mm-hmm. that's a creditor and a predator that might rear its ugly head someday. You know, you might want to leave your assets to your kids, but you don't want your ex-son-in-law to receive anything. But the reality is this. If you leave $100,000 to your daughter in your will – and then she subsequently remarries, it's a good chance $50,000 of that's walking out the door with your ex-son-in-law unless mm-hmm. you've planned it appropriately. Um, so those are the silent predators, the nursing home. right? Nobody wants to go into a nursing home, but let's face it, a lot of us are getting older. We're staying alive. We're not just kicking over quickly anymore. We're getting, we're getting sick. We're needing care. Facilities are popping up all over. The average cost of a nursing home is is more than $10,732 a month. And so a lot of clients like the idea of protecting that. Uh, And even the thought of a surviving spouse getting remarried. Mm -hmm. We don't think too much about that, but I talk to my clients about that. I said, all right, Joe, if you pass away first, what if Helen meets a guy at church or she gets a pool in the backyard, right, and she starts to get romantically involved with the pool boy? What – What's that going to do to the plan the two of you thought you had? I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Plans change. Money changes people. Romance changes people. So you have to account for that. Those are the silent creditors and predators that you have to account for. Too many basic or stale plans that I see that simply fail to account for these silent predators. You've seen it all. I, I'm thinking a reality show might be a good idea here. <laughs> we could uh, get that going. You, I'm sure you guys have some very interesting stories. It, it is truly amazing, though, uh, what all can happen. And a lot of it, the unintended consequence of so many of these decisions and and thing, and non-decisions, wills and so forth. Uh, again, those all those things that somebody like Jay and Dan will think of and will actually ask you in the meeting that has never crossed your mind. And now, because they have brought that up, you can now protect yourself for each of those instances, that's right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, one of the one of the 
crazy phrases we hear a lot is from clients is, you know, that'll never happen. You know, ensures the sun will come up tomorrow. It does mm-hmm. because you can't – sometimes with life, you can't even write the, the script, right? Life is just so crazy sometimes that it writes its own script and it's, it is crazier than some of the reality shows we see on television. Yeah, and every family is different and they got unique characteristics and situations and people. So Well, and, and even when I'm with a couple, I, you know, the husband might say, oh, no, that will never happen. And then I look at the wife and the wife's going, eh, <laughs> I'm not so sure, honey. So mm-hmm. even between the two of them, there's a disagreement as to what that, uh, that consequence might look like. Okay, so we're covering the top five biggest mistakes in estate planning. Number one was not having your own plan. Number two, not understanding the law. Luckily, these guys do. And number three, not appreciating your creditors and predators. So, Dan, what's number four? Number four is simply not understanding your options. And and we've woven a little bit of that even from the first three mistakes. But the idea there is simply assuming that all you need is a will. Um, Two of the other fundamental documents that every estate plan should have are powers of attorney, right? Mm. Healthcare powers of attorney and financial powers of attorney. And going back to that idea that if you don't have your own rule book, the government's rule book kicks in. If you don't have a good, strong financial durable power of attorney and you become incapacitated, who who's in charge of your life? Who gets to take money out of your bank? Who can speak to your financial advisor? Who can sign your name on a deed if the house needs to be sold? This is an incredibly important document that too few people have. If you don't have that document, you wind up in a courtroom. It's called guardianship proceeding, and it's, of course, expensive. It's public. It's embarrassing to march your loved one in a court and Mm -hmm. try to convince a judge that mom or dad has lost the ability to manage their affairs. So to avoid all of that, you need to have a financial power of attorney. And you need to name several people in it. I call it my depth chart. Don't just name one person. Have a backup to the to the agent and a backup to the backup. But they're in an order, right? That's right. They can be, or sometimes clients want them all to have equal authority. But the point is make sure there's enough people there that if something happens to one or the other, there's going to be a backup there. Um, and then in terms of uh, you know other options, so few people realize until I educate them or they've ed- been educated by others, that you can protect some of your life savings from losing it to the nursing home. You can. Hmm. You know, the idea that you're going to just spend all your money until you're broke and then at that point Medicaid will pick up the bill, yeah, that's how it will work. But why not allow me to help you protect some in a fashion where if that does occur 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you would have planned ahead and you would have been able to protect a good chunk of that from losing it to the nursing home, making sure the spouse is still living at home is adequately you know, provided for, mm-hmm. allowing for an inheritance to kids and grandkids. So okay. uh, being able to explain those options to clients in a very high-level, non-legal technical way I think is one of the strengths that we have at our mm-hmm. firm. We like to just educate people where they can understand it and then we send them home to think about it and sometimes pray about it. And if it resonates with them, uh, they come back and, and we've got clients and, and you know they've created a great plan for themselves and their family. And one of the great things I love about Dan from the estate planning perspective is – and I say this to clients all the time – Dan speaks both legalese and English. 
<laughs> and he can translate very well between the two of them. And uh, you know, once again, some of the stuff that we'll talk—I mean, we can talk about it at a meeting—can be, you know, a little bit in the weeds. But most of the time, we try to keep it at a thirty thousand foot level, mm-hmm. so that we don't, you know, lose anybody. And that um, basically, we want to make sure that you know this is your plan. We want you to be comfortable with it. So if you can't articulate it or you don't know why we're doing certain things, then that's not a good situation. And we don't want to put you in that situation because this is your plan. So that's why Dan is a really good uh, you know, uh, linguist with both English and legalese. Well, there's no shame in asking questions, that's for sure. We would hope that anybody that's confused by any of the legalese they think they may be hearing will say, well, what does that mean? I, you know, I don't know. Let's, let's hope that will be the case. One of the more common examples of an option that I've been creating for clients, even in the wake of the SECURE Act, that act that was passed in December of 2020 that uh, really affected the way kids now are receiving inherited IRAs. The lifetime stretch has virtually been removed. I've been creating what I'll call an IRA subtrust. And the purpose of it is really to protect the deceased spouse's IRA for the benefit of the surviving spouse or the kids. The typical scenario, of course, is you've got a husband and a wife. Husband names wife as the primary beneficiary and the kids as the contingent. Wife names husband as the primary and the kids as the contingent. But what happens is if the husband dies and dumps all of that IRA money on the wife, well, you're, you're basically exposing all of that money to what's going on in the wife's life, whether it's the nursing home or other creditors, predators, mm. Biff the pool boys of the world. So one strategy that I've been using is I've been creating this special kind of a subtrust. It's with a hedge of protection around it so that if spouse dies, the IRA goes into this special trust. The wife can still tap into the income. She can get what's called the required minimum distributions. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, the balance of it, the balance of the principal stays in the trust and it's protected from the nursing home and the creditors and the predators. So a lot of clients have really been intrigued and excited about that possibility because historically, when one spouse dies, everything's dumped onto the next spouse and it's all exposed to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of one option that exists that I'm trying to uh, take advantage of the SECURE Act provisions um, take advantage of the asset protection rules as they currently exist um, and still manage to, you know, to satisfy the client's desires to take care of the surviving spouse but not dump it all on, you know, on mm-hmm. the nursing home's front door. You know, and those numbers I heard on a previous program I was doing um, uh, about the nursing home, like 73% or something of of people will end up in a nursing home or a long-term... Yep, for uh, some period you know, of time, at least 70%. Some, yeah. yeah, that's... Yeah, and, and the majority numbers. of those are on Medicaid, are mm-hmm. on the government benefit, right, because their assets were down to that level. Right. So this is not an insignificant area of law in which to practice. Well, it's uh, kind of news to me that, that there is a way in, I guess, many cases to protect some of the, those assets from exactly. the nursing home. Exactly. All right. So uh, let me give uh, some contact info, and then we'll get on to maybe uh, point number five of the top five biggest mistakes in estate planning. We are speaking with uh, Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer, who are with Abernethy and Hagerman. The phone number is 412-486-6624. The website is a-h.law. That's a-h.law. And the phone number, again, is 412-486-6624. So what is mistake number five, Dan? I simply call this setting it and forgetting it. Uh, And... 
you know, life changes, laws certainly change, family circumstances change, your assets change, your health changes. All of these things change in your life, and so your estate plan sh- should really be reevaluated on a fairly regular basis to ensure that the goals that you have and that you set are still going to be met when life takes that inevitable turn. So don't just set it and forget it. That often leads to either financial disaster or a generation of heartbreak. I've seen it happen. If you don't update your financial powers of attorney maybe every few years, every five years, you might find that when a a kid goes to the bank with that document, the bank's going to say, sorry, this is a little too old. The laws have changed. I'm not comfortable letting you get mom's money out of that Mm. bank account. If you haven't changed your will, and we alluded to that a little bit earlier, you might find that your family's different. You might find that the people that you chose as a fiduciary, as an executor, well, they're not around anymore or they're, they're not trustworthy anymore. So it's important that you not just set it and forget it. There are some things I suppose in life that you can set and forget, but an estate plan is certainly not one of them. So it would be a mistake to do that. If I were using uh, you guys, I, what I would do is I'd set a reminder once a year on my iPhone. And it would go off and it would say, you know, look at, will, update, powers of attorney, whatever. Uh, in other words, schedule another meeting with you guys to uh, to cover that. And uh, you'll ask the questions and find out if, if there is any updating or changes that would be needed. Sure. But and don't forget to do that and don't let that go on for 20 years. Well, and sometimes, and I've done it in the past, we've created maintenance clients, like maintenance meetings where – it's just it's baked into our fee agreement that every year mm-hmm. clients come in as part of their maintenance fee and they pay us to just review their stuff and to mm-hmm. collect all the data and to figure out whether anything's changed or needs to be tweaked. So um, that's certainly something, too, that, that we do. But, but Jay and I are also fairly generous with our time. If a client calls a couple of years and says, hey, I just got a quick question about this or can you look at this? I don't know about you, Jay, but I, re- I rarely charge a client for that. I mean, yeah, we don't nickel and dime people here. Mm-hmm. That's not our style. Okay, very good. Good to know. Good guys. It's Jay Hagerman and Dan Reimer from the law firm Abernathy and Hagerman. So they're in the North Hills, and again, the phone number is 412-486-6624, and the website is a-h.law. So we've been covering the top five biggest mistakes in estate planning, and Dan, thanks for all the uh, work in coming up with that list. My pleasure, Gary. Some great information. And we hope to see you on the next program, and we will have more programs coming up soon with Abernathy and Hagerman. And that is also the sponsor of today's program, Abernathy and Hagerman, LLC. We'll see you next time.